So guys, you're welcome again to Heroes Convos and I hope you've watched the previous episodes now. Okay, don't mind this. This is a new arrangement because when we have... I wasn't comfortable on the couch actually, so I think it's better we do this on the table. Um, yeah, I hope you watched the previous episodes and they have blessed you. We've had different people. We've had Jimmy, we've had Ryan and we're going to have many more people. So there'll be more episodes uh, and topics that you would like to hear discussed. Again, if you have any topic I mean, related to the Christian world and you want me to discuss about it or you want me to bring somebody on to discuss about it, just send a mail, send a mail, a message, a comment or something like that and I'll respond. Okay, so today I have with me another one of my pastors. I have two pastors here on the island. <laughs> Pastor Ryan Keating and Pastor Jerry Maddox is here. We're based in North Cyprus and he pastors the local church that I worship with. Yeah, I have another one that I worship with where I pastor, but he is my is the one that, that pastors where I worship with as a member. And today we're going to discuss an interesting topic, which is uh, answering God's call as a minister. Sometimes as believers, we go through this moment where we just think, I'm saved, I'm born again, and there's nothing more. Uh, as long as I'm saved, I'm fine, my family is okay, I'm okay. And we don't have this responsibility to preach. And oftentimes we find uh, people put that responsibility of preaching to pastors. Or they say, no, I'm not, a, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a prophet. So I don't need to preach the message. And we leave that to these few people. I think that's a wrong idea mm -hmm. for believers to have. And yeah, so I think it would be nice for us to discuss this. And Pastor Trey is going to share with us how, no matter who you are as a believer, where you are, we have all have this responsibility. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Jerry. Yeah. Well, this, uh, what you've described is a rather modern phenomena, this idea of... Uh, professionalizing Christianity, yeah. you know, where it's certain professionals that have a particular career, who have been educated in a particular way, they're the ones who are not just equipped, but are entitled yeah. to, to be behind the pulpit, mm -hmm. and they have this unique calling, and so um, this is something, you know, obviously today in, in the modern world, this has become more standardized, but it's one of the ways in which I feel that, that Christianity has got off tracks, yeah. uh, in fact, quite early on. Mm -hmm. uh, when we talk about the church history, for example, one of the great successes of the church uh, was during the first three centuries when they managed to get the gospel out all over the world. I mean, it was it was really remarkable. You think of a bunch of fishermen, you know, yeah. a bunch of nobodies yeah. uh, gathered together in Jerusalem, and they get this call from the Lord Jesus basically saying, Go! You know, what are you waiting for? Go! Testify to this truth. And uh, they were a bit reluctant to do so, naturally. I mean, they, they didn't have great education or great, uh, you know, uh, it, it, for that matter, they had no, no education, right? They didn't have any resources to draw from. And here the Lord Jesus is saying, go, you know, do this and testify to the gospel of the world. And ironically, the Lord later used Paul, yeah. who was then Saul, to kind of push them out, you know? create, stir things up, cause some persecution, and, yeah. and kind of force the issue. And so the early disciples, they get out there and they start, you know, preaching the gospel and sharing. And, and the gospel goes from the corner, the backwaters of the Roman Empire mm -hmm. to the head, the capital of the Roman Empire in about 30 to 35 years. Mm -hmm. Now that's, that's remarkable. Yeah. You know, how do you reach most of the known world in, you know, 30 years? 35 years, yeah. We would love to see that happen. Yeah. And one of the, the keys to the success of the early church 
was that they all saw themselves as disciples. I mean, you don't have the word ministers. <laughs> None of them were ministers. Actually, actually. Yeah, you know, in fact, the, 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 the apostles were chosen out of the, 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 the crop of disciples, as you were, mm -hmm. to, to carry responsibility, to, to take leadership. And, and yet, what's interesting is that they continue to refer to themselves mm -hmm. as disciples. And they refer to everybody else as disciples. Mm -hmm. There's actually no hierarchy, no hierarchy in the early church in that sense. And there was an understanding that they had seen Jesus, they had followed Jesus, they had been personally picked and commissioned by Jesus to represent Him in terms of leadership, in terms of passing on His words, later in the written New Testament. And yet, they were still disciples. They were still disciples. There was uh, no particular hierarchy that was set up. That came quite a while later. Now, why I find this amazing is because, you know, the word disciple very simply means a learner. Yes. And once a disciple, always a disciple. It's like being a son. You know, I'm my father's son, and I'll never stop being my father's son. You know, that, there's not going to be a time where I become my father's father. You know? I continue to be my father's son. And in terms of our relationship to Jesus and in the context of the church, we are all disciples. We don't stop being disciples. Right? And so you have this really interesting dynamic in the early church where uh, Jesus is gone. Yeah. And you would imagine someone like Peter, you know, or John, say, okay guys, Jesus isn't here anymore. Uh, I think it's probably, it's probably, you know, I probably have to take responsibility for this. So I, I'm the new leader of the, of the church and you're going to call me this or that or the other. He never does that. In fact, he doesn't dare to do that. None of them dare to, 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 to try to fill the role of Jesus. They, they fill the role of Judas. Uh, yeah, they did. Yeah. And they realize that there's a place, there's a, there's a vacancy there, that it should be 12. And for one reason or another, they decide to fill it. But none of them dares to stand up and say, okay, I'm uh, the new Jesus. Or I am the new leader of this movement. I am the head of this movement. You know, the history of Islam, for example. You know, when, when Muhammad left, there was a vac vacancy and a vacuum. That needed to be filled by the, the new heads of Islam, the caliphs. Yeah. You don't have this in Christianity. No one dares to be the next caliph. And for the very simple reason, and this is powerful, Jesus is still alive. They still very much saw him as their living, reigning, ruling head. Nothing had really changed. Jesus had just changed addresses. Okay, exactly. right? He was still very much, in fact, he was more potently among them than before because he was within them by means of his spirit. They recognized Jesus in his spirit as being among them and within them. And so they continued to see themselves as disciples. Disciples. And so they had a simple task. Share and spread this gospel. Testify to the truth that they had all seen. You know, Jesus had 12 apostles, but he had hundreds of disciples. Hundreds of disciples. And they were going out all over the place sharing this, this great news. And so I find this interesting. You, you trace kind of um, you know, we think of, of, of the early church and we think of them as Christians. They didn't receive the name Christians until chapter 11. Yeah. And, and that was probably a derogatory term. They were probably making fun of yeah, these new Christians, this, this new sect. Particularly because at that point in Antioch, there began to be a kind of a new breed of Christians. These were uh, not just Hellenistic Jews. These were Gentile Christians. For the first time, you had people who were Greeks and Romans believing in Jesus. 
what do we make of these guys? You know, they didn't even have a, a, you know, so they had to borrow a name from the Septuagint to describe them, which is the name Christos, which is the, the translation in Greek of Messiah. Okay? It, the early believers, as far as they knew, and all they could call themselves were, were disciples of Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. And suddenly this new, new name gets coined, mm -hmm. and it's Christianos. Why? These are, you know, followers of this Jesus, which we've had to translate now into Greek. Uh, and this is what's amazing about that term. It's a Greek term. Mm -hmm. It's a Greek term. And, and the point is this, is now there are Greeks, Gentiles, that are, that are believing in Jesus. As I said, this is probably a derogatory term, maybe thrown in their face. Oh, you guys are after this Jewish Messiah, this Christos guy. Right, um, and yet uh, the disciples, the believers, before and after chapter eleven of Acts, they continue to call themselves disciples. It's interesting. They they rarely. I can't think of an example in the New Testament where the believers or the apostles refer to themselves as Christians. Okay, mm -hmm. throughout the book of Acts, those thirty years of the of the early church, they they doggedly stick to this title, this statement, this, this, this identity for them. We are disciples. We continue to be disciples. We don't stop being disciples. And we're all equal. It kind of reminds me, and many people have found this interesting parallel in the book of Acts, chapter 2, 3, and 4, where you have the early church sharing everything. everything they right? It's almost like a communist yeah. commune going on yeah. there, you know? And uh, obviously communism and all that it represents came much later, but in, some, in fact, some would think that it's inspired by what uh, what they saw in the book of Acts. What's interesting is you have in communism this idea called the comrade. Okay, the comrade. What does comrade mean? You know, I was watching a movie just the other day in Bulgaria of a young fellow who uh, is a wrestler and he ends up being, you know, because of his success, it goes to see the president of Bulgaria. And so the president of Bulgaria rises up from his chair and you know, this young fellow has been marched into the presidential palace. And what does the, the, the president say? And what does he say to the president? He says, hi, comrade. Is it our first place? Not much you can do that. Are you safe in the building? Yeah. yeah it's a pretty mild earthquake. It's mild? Yes, yeah, it's mild. <laughs> Yeah, if it, if it was, if doors were sliding back and forth, you'd be like, yeah, this is here. So this is about 40 seconds. Yeah, this, the building's fine. About 40 seconds that it takes. Was there an announcement or prediction? Yeah. We're, we're on a fault line. <laughs> this is my first time actually experiencing yeah. this. And we got it on camera. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, okay. So you're talking about he goes to meet the president of Bulgaria. He goes to meet, meet the president of Bulgaria. And, you know, the Bulgarian president stands up, and this young fellow named Naim stands up. And what does the president uh, what does it say? That the young man say to the president? He says, Hi, comrade. Hmm. To the president. Hmm. Yeah, this is, what, this is what happened in the communist world. Hmm. It didn't matter if you were the president or, or prime minister or the beggar, hmm. you were all comrades. Right? And in a very similar sense, in the early church, you have this sense that they are all disciples. That just didn't change. Okay? Uh, and so this, this carries on throughout the New Testament. And, and I find this very significant because that's, that's the core, the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It's not about, you know, uh, achieving some place or some position in church or, you know, some specialty. We're all comrades. 
We're all disciples. We're all in this together. We're all walking the same road. We're all serving the same master. We're all continuing to learn from him. And this learning curve never stops. As long as he is Lord and we are his subjects, he continues to be Lord and we his disciples. I mean, that was a bit of a rabbit trail. It's something that I've been thinking about, writing about a lot. But I find it's, you know, fascinating to, to just remember, this is, this is where the success of the early church came from. Okay? Seeing themselves first. Seeing themselves as disciples. Yeah. And then, out of that identity, all together walking out and seeing themselves as each responsible to preach that gospel. There wasn't, oh, I'm not supposed to preach. That's what the, 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 you know, the guy over there, he's, he's the evangelist. Oh, no, no, I can't, I can't teach or I can't do this job or that job because he has a job. No, no, we're all equally responsible to do everything, right? And so there was this idea that the early church, and this is why it blossomed and it grew and it, and it, and it, and it you know, in a beautiful way, just exploded. Why? Because they all saw themselves fully and personally responsible, Right? And so everyone saw themselves as the missionary. Yeah. Everyone saw themselves as the evangelist. Everybody saw themselves as the preacher. Mm-hmm. And they did everything in their power to participate in this great gospel mission. And this is why it was so successful. It's, it was much later on that we began to have the classes and began to have the distinctions. The hierarchies and, and, and the hierarchies that came in. And it's pretty soon, you know, in the New Testament, you have very simple order to church. You have the bishops mm-hmm. and you have the deacons. Uh, bishops comes from the word episcopos, which very simply means overseers. That's the person in charge before God mm-hmm. to, to, to look after the church, to look after the flock. That's what they're called pastors elsewhere, mm-hmm. which is an ironic term. I mean, I find it humorous. You know, in Turkey, when I've had a couple people uh, different occasions. I don't particularly like the, the, the word pastor, uh, <laughs> just because it's a title, you know, yeah. in, in that sense. And somebody has introduced me to somebody else, and this is my pastor, you know. And, and I've seen other Turks go, what, pastor? You know, what's pastor, you know? Mm-hmm. They know about pasteurized milk, you know, but they don't know about pastor, you know. And so the other person is going to go, what? You know, so can you, what is pastor? And then I'm like, yeah, it means shepherd. And then, of course, we all have a big laugh, you know, because... <laughs> When you really translate it back from the French, uh, it, it just means a shepherd, you know? And, uh, and in a similar way, we use the word minister. Now, minister, that's a pretty weighty term. And yet, it's, it's, it really traces its roots back to the word diakonos in the New Testament, okay? So you have uh, on the top tier, if you will, the oversight was handled by the what we call bishops, which is a pretty high name, which are just shepherds. Okay. You know? <laughs> just shepherds. And then you have the second tier. Not any better. These guys were just deacons. And deacons very simply mean uh, means someone who is a servant. Servant. Diakonos is a servant. Hmm. And yet we've taken this word diakonos all the way to the top to the now he's a, a minister, is on the top of your mm-hmm. government. Mm-hmm. Minister simply means a servant. You know, what, who are we kidding? You know? And so the early church, this was, this was their hierarchy, if there was any. You have the oversight by the shepherds, and then you had the, the service that was going on by the deacons. Uh, apart from that, everybody is described as a saint, as a disciple, as a partaker in the kingdom of God. And it wasn't until much later that they, just, they, they separated out that top tier, and so that it became episcopos and presbuteros. Presbuteros would be the elders, the elders the and Episcopos now became the bishop. The bishop the and so he would be in oversight, 
usually not just of one church, but of a number of different churches in that particular region. And so you have the bishop, and then the elders, and then the deacons. And so you had this, uh, this dichotomy began to develop in this hierarchical uh, status and all the rest that came after that. And, and I think we've, we've lost a lot because of that. You know, we've, that's where we are today, the professionalization of Christianity, where you have these particular ranks and file and whether you have clergy and laity and, and you know and, and this not only you know kind of stratifies everything but it ultimately strips the individual believer of his personal responsibility and of the joy of seeing themselves as an integral part of the church of Jesus Christ. I think that's uh, that's the problem that we have today. I think the hierarchy when it came in, even though it might have come in for good reason, maybe we're trying to bring order in the church, but in the long run it starts putting some people, selected few, to do these jobs, and then the ones who are at the bottom, in quote, don't see themselves responsible. Yeah. And I think that also happened deep down where in my country, different countries of the world, where members of the church just see themselves as members. They don't have that responsibility to preach the gospel. They don't think they should preach the gospel. So when you say, are you preaching this? I'm not a preacher. My pastor is a preacher. Or then we start having a hierarchy where some selected people are dedicated to pray. Is that these are the prayer warriors for your church. And the members of your church call them to pray for them, but they don't want to pray. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to take part in the gospel because this hierarchy came in. Mm-hmm. And I think this is something that I think God just wants us to be able, I mean, touch it and tell the upcoming generation that mm-hmm. this is not how it is. Mm-hmm. I like what you said, they first saw themselves as disciples. I think that's the first thing we need to understand. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, what does it mean to be a disciple? If I see myself as a disciple, then all these hierarchies don't even bother. I mean, they don't, they don't matter anymore. Yeah. I believe so. Well, the whole idea, we talk about calling as yeah. a general, yeah. Yeah. you know, overarching uh, title. Mm-hmm. Calling began with the call to the discipleship. Yes. Jesus called people to be his disciples. You know, and... Um, it's really interesting, you know, when you kind of analyze Jesus' inter- interaction with his disciples, he called a number of people, some of which didn't come. Mm, yeah, that's true. And there were others that came that he sent home. Yeah. You know, he was quite judicious in his way of calling people, not because they were, he was looking for the best. Mm. In fact, you know, take for example the rich young ruler when he shows up and wants to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the guy who wanted to have a mighty team. Yeah. Now he would be really good for my pastoral team. You know? <laughs> Supported us naturally and everything. Yeah, the whole you know, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And yet Jesus sends him home. You know, it's like what? I can imagine that the disciples going, Jesus, you know how much money this yeah. guy has? You know? And Jesus is like, no. And he's not looking for you know those kind of qualifications. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was looking really for for, for commitment, first and foremost. Commitment to his cause. And so he's calling these individuals, the most unlikely individuals, right? like Peter, John, and other guys like you know, Levi. Matthew was a tax collector. That's the last guy you want to have on your team. That's just no good. You know? Uh, or, or one of the guys is a zealot. A zealot meaning he had been you know, involved in guerrilla attacks, you know, revolutionary activity against the Romans. And you don't want to get caught with him at a checkpoint. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus is drafting these guys to be on his team. Right? So the call was very simple. Come follow me. You know, it wasn't, okay, go and get a diploma and then follow me. You know, it wasn't, you know, okay, go and prove your stuff and follow me. Okay, let's have an audition and then maybe you can follow me. Okay, it was very much just very simple. 
follow me. I don't expect anything from you except a willingness to follow. And that's just it. And that by itself is, you know, outstanding when you think of it. That's not how we select people for ministry, for school, or for anything in life, right? Jesus' criteria was actually very simple. Are you willing to follow? Are you willing to follow? And that implied being willing to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Being sure. willing to learn. Yeah. Right? I might give you, you know, this to do today. I might give you that. Mm. You might be washing toilets one day. Mm. You might be, you know, cleaning diapers the other. Yeah. You might be preaching a sermon. Mm. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. Just so long as you're following me. Right? Yeah. Just follow. And, and following implied that we elevate Jesus as our Lord and Master. Mm. And we do what he does. Yeah. And so, so much of... You know, following Jesus, we see this. And Jesus is is taking these disciples and he's molding them, he's crafting them. He's, there's days there's days when he's rebuking them. Yeah. You know, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. There's days that he's saying, "Come on, guys, get your act together. Where's your faith?" You know, he's giving them jobs, he's giving them tasks. And the most remarkable thing is, is and this is a these are a, a wild bunch of guys. Yeah. You know, that are constantly giving Jesus heartache, yeah. and yet at times he will say to them, "Okay, you see how I cast out demons and heal people." Okay, here are the keys. You go do it. I'm like, you're crazy, Jesus. You're going to let these guys go and cast out demons? You know, and, and, and do miracles? You know, this is insanity. And yet, he, he, he trusts the system. He trusts the method. And that's discipleship. Right? And so, he keeps entrusting these guys. He keeps sending out these guys, you know, for better or for worse. He works with them. He knows they're going to betray him. He knows they're all going to run away at the end. And yet... It's okay. They keep moving forward. And he keeps, you know, entrusting more and more to them. And they keep growing in this role. Okay? And this is discipleship. This is the, this is the beauty of what it is. And of course, the greatest, you know, picture of all this is when they come to the final meal. Here they all are, you know, squabbling about who's going to sit where and who's going to be the greatest. And I don't want to wash people's feet. You know, somebody had to volunteer. And here comes Jesus. He's washing their grimy feet, you know, and they're just shocked out of their minds. And he says, This is discipleship. You choose to do the job that nobody wants to do. Okay? That's where it starts. That's the calling. He brings them back to ground zero. This is what I've been teaching you all along. You see?